Welcome to Group Work. I'm your host, Katie K. May, and I interview mental health therapists to find out what happens in the space where group therapy takes place. Take a deep breath and find your seat inside the circle. This episode of Group Work is about to get started. Jazrael Turner is an LMFT that has been providing therapy services for eight years. She owns a solo private practice where the majority of individuals she serves are Black women ages 18 to 30. She helps individuals with adjustment struggles, anxiety, family of origin concerns, and low self-esteem. So excited to welcome her today to talk about her group, Adjust Your Crown, a group for Black women ages 18 to 25 to explore and process topics related to racial trauma, empowerment, adjustment struggles, and self-esteem. So Jazrael, I'm so excited that you're here today. Hi, I'm excited to be here. And we're neighbors, like not literally neighbors, but you're in the Philadelphia area with me. Whereabouts are you in terms of your practice? Like what part of the Philly area? So I'm in the Bluebell area, Yeah, but I'm virtual. I'm strictly virtual, but proximity wise, I'm in the Bluebell area and where I'm at is very close to Ambler. So I genuinely tell people I'm an Ambler because it's right there. I'm very close on that side of Bluebell. Is Ambler well known? Like I live in Ambler, so it's well known to me because I'm sitting in it right now. But like, I didn't know that was a like a reference point for other people. I have found it to be. So okay. I went to high school in Ambler. I, I grew up out here. I have found it to be way better of a reference than Bluebell. Got it. So I tell people Ambler. Bluebell or Penland is where I'm at, but I say Ambler. <laughs> Got it. So people listening to this are like national and they may have no idea what we're talking about, but that's fine. We know. Sure, sure. Right outside of Philly, about 20 minutes outside of Philly is where I'm at. You got it. Awesome. So we've got that out of the way. We know where we're both located, which is great. We can hear each other now. We've got some tech issues under control. I gave a formal introduction before you came on recording with me, but I like to give people an opportunity to introduce themselves. I think it's cool to hear, you know, I want you to brag on yourself a little bit. So tell our listeners who you are, the gist, the overview of the group that you're going to talk about today, and then we'll dig into some of the details. Okay, sure. Thank you. So my name is Jazrael Turner. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and I own a private practice. So I'm in private practice. And like I said earlier, it's strictly online. Everything is virtual. So my group is virtual. My practice is virtual. And it's all been virtual probably since the pandemic started. June 2020, I have been strictly virtual and I'm going to be virtual for some time. So my background is in working with a range of ages, diagnoses. I've worked in agency settings, university settings, and now I'm in private practice and I'm really enjoying it. I, I found my my home here in private practice and I genuinely work with Black women ages 18 to 30 in my practice. I can see on your face and I want to describe for listeners, you're, you light up when you're talking about your practice and the population that you serve and you can tell that it really is, it's authentic and a unique ability for you to be in this space. I can just read it all over you. So that's awesome Thank to see. You. Thank yeah. you so much. And then you said strictly virtual several times. So I want to check in on that. <laughs> like we've all been virtual through, or at least, you know, I have, you have, it sounds like through the pandemic, what led you to thinking I want to stay virtual, you know, even offering groups and individual, what do you like about it that you want to stay that way for some time? 
In all honesty, I like the work-life balance that it creates for me. For my schedule, it has been great to be able to be virtual. I wanted to be virtual before I could be virtual. So I was starting to look into becoming virtual just to have the flexibility. I have found that some clients have actually started asking about it as well for the same reason. Scheduling-wise, it just seems to be more convenient sometimes. So I had wanted to be virtual for some time. And then once I became virtual and I'm finding that my clients are in enjoying it. I have yet to have anybody in a year and a half who has said to me, this isn't working for me. I need you to get an office space. It has been great. And even with the pandemic, I think it's easier for people to scheduling yeah. or just, some people want to be safe. It has just worked very well for me. And yeah. I, since I haven't had complaints and it's still been very effective individually mm-hmm. in group, I said, maybe I'll stick with it for, for a little bit longer. I love that. I read an article, I think it was Wall Street Journal the other day that was talking about how people have built new routines with being home and being online. And so I'm thinking about your population, especially women 18 to 30, they've built in their gym routine or, you know, walking their dog and and then having to give those things up for travel. It sounds like you don't have to right now because of the accessibility of being online. Absolutely. It's very accessible. Yeah. Very accessible. Mm-hmm. So before we talk about your group, I want to learn more about you. I usually ask people, what's a fun fact about you from high school? So what's something, Jezreel, that you're willing to share about yourself so that we can peek into your history a little bit? Sure. So a fun fact about me from high school, I think one of the things people who knew me very closely in high school that I can remember, I was very obsessed with Tweety Bird, the character. I had everything Tweety Bird. Back in those days when I was in high school, we would pass around notes between me and my friends. Like we had little books we would pass around. My nickname was Tweety Bird. Everything was Tweety. And I had Tweety on my, my bag I wore for school. Everything was Tweety Bird. So that went for me all the way up until college. I think my first biz spread my freshman year was Tweety Bird. I was <laughs> Wait, did you yes. have, did you say your nickname was also Tweety Bird or did I make yeah, that? Yeah, some people would call me Tweety and it was a big part of my identity. Um, if I got gifts, they were Tweety Bird stuffed animals. I had the keychains, the decorations. I was obsessed with Tweety Bird. What was it about Tweety Bird? I like, I can't not ask this question now. What resonated with you? I found Tweety to be cute and different and Tweety was not for me as popular as the other like Warner Brothers characters. Like you will always see, I think Warner Brothers is like Bugs Bunny and and things of that nature was really big. And Tweety for me wasn't that. And I like the fact that Tweety kind of did, still not sure Tweety was his, him or her. And that's okay. <laughs> Tweety did their own thing, right? And I like the um, uniqueness with Tweety because with me, I feel as though I'm unique. I came into the world with a unique name. So that uniqueness has just came about for me. And Tweety was just different and cute and fun. And I just enjoyed Tweety. I love that. Unique, <laughs> cute, fun, just doing their own thing. And that really, it sounds like resonated with you and, and who you are and that authenticity that's coming through today as well. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you for sharing. Sounds no like problem. it's not so secret, though. Others are aware of this. <laughs> yes. If people are listening to this that knew me in high school, they will laugh. Like, I think my decorations on my life, like everything had Tweety Bird there. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. All right. So tell me about Adjust Your Crown. How did you, you know, come to want to run this group and, and give me the, the breakdown of who it's for? Like, what kind of person would find themselves wanting to join this group? 
Absolutely. So shortly, I would say before the pandemic, so I probably started the group about spring, summer 2020, maybe a year before that, I found myself in this space with all Black women professionally to be able to explore topics about race, whether that's in the workplace, outside the workplace, microaggressions, just being a Black woman and everything that comes with that. It was one of the most powerful, prominent settings I've been able to have for myself. And so going into working with college students and emerging adults, and most of them as being Black women, I decided I wanted to replicate that space, especially for the younger generation, because it's such a time where you're coming into yourself already and then to have these other external factors into place as well. So to be able to create this really safe, authentic space for Black women in that age group, 18 to 25, was really important for me. And the name Adjust Your Crown was just that. I think about having a crown and having this confidence and that crown sometimes getting tilted or knocking off because of things that can come with gender or race or age or all of those things. So Adjust Your Crown is about just that having that space to be authentic, having that space to explore topics like racial trauma or just the experience of being a young woman in general as well. That's what came about with Adjust Your Crown and the space I wanted to create. I really like the, well, that you're, you're holding this space, I think is so important. And I'm appreciative that it's, that it's in my local community to refer to. And I like this visual of adjusting your crown. It makes me think of sometimes I'll see messaging on memes or social media that are about like strong women help other women adjust their crown. They don't like laugh when it falls off. I know that's not exactly what those things say, but like that idea that we're there for each other. Sorry, go ahead. Yes, no, I said, absolutely. You're so right. The same memes, I, I've seen them as well. And I, I really did want to have something just like that to fit. That's where the name even came from. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. I think about the the lived experience of women and, and you know, I can't speak to the lived experience of a Black woman, but what, what I'm imagining is, you know, having that space where other people accept you for who you are and are there to support you and foster your growth and not not the underlying message of a hope of failure or microaggressions or anything like that, that, that may show up in other spaces that these women are in. Absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. I agree. What would somebody be experiencing that would prompt them to seek out your support? Is it, you know, really a match of demographics and life transitions and experience, or have you found that there's any kind of patterns in terms of when people show up, this is what they're going through and this is why they're seeking this group? Absolutely. I have seen a pattern. And because of the age group, 18 through 25, a lot of the women who have reached out to me have been college students. And that pattern of, hey, I want to have this space where it's run by a Black woman. There's Black women in this group for me. I don't see a lot of options for spaces like that. So the pattern has been that, hey, I see there's this space and I want to be able to be a part of this. I want to be able to explore this space and then have this authentic, safe space. That's been the pattern I've seen. Yeah, I love that. And you specialize in college students or you see a lot of them. So it sounds like that's really, they love you. Yes, I hope so. (laughs) Well, if they keep coming back, I think that the evidence is there. So (laughs) thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone that would not be a good fit for this group, even if they met some of that criteria that you would be like, oh, I can't help you in this way? 
Absolutely. So for me, there's a couple things I'm thinking because I do do a screening process for my group for this reason, because the group is very intimate. I keep it um, small, like the number wise, and I also like it to be it's a closed group. So when people call for the group, one of the first things I ask, how comfortable are you with showing up? How comfortable are you coming to this space and being able to be authentic and speak and relate? And I respect that with especially groups, there are going to be people who are going to be nervous. It's new people. You have to open up. But I'm very honest in saying that this group won't benefit from you if you don't put out what you're trying to get in. So that's one of the main things. If it's somebody who really feels as though I want to listen more than I participate or I may not even want to share a lot. The group's not going to benefit them the way I want it to. And I shared that with them. Do you find that, I'm glad you gave that example of some of those behaviors that would be them not showing up versus showing up. Do you find that people are generally self-aware enough to know that in advance, that they know whether they're able to participate? Yes, I have yet to have somebody call who has not benefit for the group. Like I feel as though the ones who are reaching out exactly is looking for that. And of course, you still have your first or second session. People are still getting to know each other. But for the most part, they are coming with this awareness of this is what I want. This is what I'm looking for. And I'm, I'm going to participate in this group. I really found that pattern to be with the people who reach out. I think that speaks to your marketing and how clearly you're articulating what the group is and who it's for is that the people reaching out are already the right match because you're you're talking about it accurately. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) It's coming across for sure. Yes. Okay. Great. Tell me some numbers. So I heard closed group. I heard you keep it small. You know, what size is small for you? And if it's a closed group, is a certain number of sessions? Like, give me some of those details. Yeah, no, absolutely. I've had the group be as small as like three people to as big as about eight. And I wouldn't really want it to go past eight. I really think anything past that wouldn't give me that intimate feel that I'm looking for. The first two, so it's a six week group. I run a group for six weeks. And by the second group, I close the group. That first week I leave space if somebody else reaches out or if um, depending on how my marketing goes, I found sometimes that people are like reaching out at the very last minute, which is fine. But I let my group members know that this second week may be some new faces. After that, the group's completely closed. So we can have that intimate space, that vulnerability that you can trust. You're going to see the same faces. So that's been the way I've been doing that. I really like that. So I want to I'm like making a mental note in my brain about this right now, because one of the questions that I get asked a lot is if I'm doing a closed cohort, what if it doesn't fill to the point I want by the time I start? And what I'm hearing and what you're saying is that you have a cutoff point, but it's not necessarily week one. And so you're giving some of that flex time. And that's really smart. Thank you. I do. And I'm very honest with my group members about that, too, because I have found that it's been a couple of times when people haven't reached out until that very first week. And then the next day people are reaching out. But then after the second group, it's completely closed for sure. Love that. Thank you. I'm curious about when you've had a group of three, like I'm hearing all of these strengths and, and you saying, I'm, you know, I'm holding the space. I have this mission. I'm doing this thing because it matters. And I, it's important to me. And I see the other side of that sometimes where people are like, is three a group? Should I cancel it? Should I wait for more? So I I love hearing stories of small groups being successful. How did it go with three? I was very transparent with three because it was very small 
than what I wanted the group to be. And so I shared with the group, hey, I would have ideally wanted this group bigger. And my group members said, you know what? I think we can do this. I think that I'm comfortable with who I've met. I'm comfortable with the group facilitator myself and we'll be able to go through this. And that three, I think has also helped people to a certain accountability too, to know they're showing up. It was very different. I have never done a group that small. I don't know if it will be that small again and not for a bad reason, but it puts people on the spot way more when it's when it's a lot smaller. There's not as much room for, I think, the group process that would come with like eight people. Yeah. But the group members were very comfortable with themselves and still showed up. And then the thing about smaller groups, too, Katie, that I found in that instance is I'm probably doing more as a group facilitator in that moment, too. Like I'm participating more. I'm sharing more. And, and they found that to be helpful, too. So it's like I'm, I'm another member in a sense with a boundary. So that's the other part of having a small group. That really paints a clear picture of how it's workable and if the group trusts you, and it sounds like they trusted themselves, you, each other enough to go through this process that it was important enough to continue with. And I love that you're upholding this side of like, there's more energy output from you as the facilitator when there are less members in the group. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm curious about self-disclosure with boundaries. It's something that I say a lot as well. And so I like to know what it means to other people. How do you show up within this group? Like, what is it like for you to be, you know, a part of this group as facilitator, as fractional member at times? Like, give me your take on group. Sure, definitely. So self-disclosure, I feel as though even as a therapist, I do it when I know it's safe for my clients, when I know that it'll be helpful, when it won't be harmful, when I know that I have clients who will be receptive to the self-disclosure as well as I don't want to make the group about me either. I don't want to make the group about what's going on for me this past week, what I experienced, and they're taking care of me and I'm not supporting them. So that's been my boundary that if there was a topic that they shared, I was able to either say, hey, as an adult, this still may happen. And this is how that may look when you're older or as a black woman, this is something I, I experience as well. So, and the group has found that to be helpful, but still given that boundary of, I know this group isn't about me. I know I, I, I don't want the group to have to take care of me in this moment too. Yeah. Like when you can provide context, but you're not necessarily adding to the, the pot that they're all pulling from. Yes. I don't know if that's an accurate metaphor, but you got me. Yes. Very accurate. Okay. Very accurate. <laughs> What is it, if I were a fly on the wall in your group, what would I be observing in terms of the structure? Like, what does it look like start to finish? And how long is one group? Yeah, absolutely. So one group is an hour and a half. I meet The group meets for six weeks for an hour and a half, six weeks straight for an hour and a half. That first group is going to look like the introductions, a little bit about what the group is, because I spend a good part of my screening talking about what the group is about and answering questions. So that first group is more of an introduction. What I'm going to look for each group week has a topic. Each week has a specific topic, whether that's around racial trauma, empowerment, self-care, what have you. Every week's a topic. And I always give a creative homework assignment for them to bring with that topic. And then that's how we facilitate the conversations too. So I have that topic to be that umbrella. And then we're having conversations around that. And then they bring in something the next week about, hey, this is something I learned this past week related to that or something I saw that was related. So if fly on the wall, we'll see an ongoing process and a vulnerable and authentic process as well. 
Love. I'm so curious now about creative homework. Are you willing to share an example of what that might look like? Sure. So at one point, uh, I talked about a vision board, but then I realized I didn't necessarily want people to, to hold up posters to the camera, which would have been great. But I said, I want you to think of a quote or something that really relates to you, a song lyric, a quote, something that you see, a painting that speaks to exactly where you are at this point in your life. And so people came in with like art or a song lyric that really related to where they were. And it was really awesome. It was very cool in that moment. So the reason I called it creative is because I, at first I originally was going to say, let's do a vision board. And as I felt out to where the group was, I was like, you know what? We're not going to do that. We're going to get even more personal. Find a song lyric, find a quote, anything that you saw this past week that speaks to where you are at this point in your life. And it was, they really enjoyed it. One of the things I'm noticing as you're sharing is that you have this nice way of being flexible within the process, almost like you're you're seeing what's unfolding and then you're tailoring the group to what they need. Do you notice that it changes a little bit each time depending on what the group needs? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think that's because the group members change each time and I feel like I have to meet them where they are. Everybody's so different and they bring so many different things to the table. So what may have worked for one group may not work for another group. And I really base that on where the group is, what that vibe is like for the group, if I can say, and um, the personalities too. Yeah. I would say so. Can I say that like, Vibe check is very important in group. And I don't think that we have a clinical term for vibe check, but we need right. to. <laughs> That's why I said, if I can say the vibes, like what the vibe of the group was, because I couldn't think of a clinical term for no. that, but it's so important. So important. Yeah, I feel like, well, I work with teenagers, so they will literally say like, vibe check is this person, right? Like, so I got absolutely. you. <laughs> yes, Absolutely. <laughs> When women are wrapping up after the six weeks, do you find that they want to go longer? Like, what do you find are the biggest, you know, aha moments or benefits for them at the end? And what happens next? Absolutely. So that's a good question, because I have found that people have wanted to either go longer or come right back for the group. And for me, even though I specify the group to who I'm working with, generally my topics are going to be the same. So not that I have discouraged people with coming back to the group. I've more so said, let's look at how we can apply what we learned in the group with, with where you are in your life right now, with relationships you have, with conversations you have, with the goals that you have for yourself. And if you ever feel like you want to come back, you can always reach out to me. That's where I've kind of left it at, um, opposed to just automatically saying, yes, come back for the next round of group, because it's it's different for the people, but my topics, my how I have my group structure is pretty much the same for yeah. each week. Yeah. It sounds really intense. Oh, I'm sorry. If that answers your question. It does. Yes. It sounds really intentional to me. You're not just taking group members back for the sake of having group members. You want them to really make the most of the, the content and the topics and then return to it maybe at a different life stage if that felt important. Is that right? Absolutely. Yes. Correct. Correct. Cool. Yeah. What would you say for you as a group leader is the most challenging part of this group, if anything? Like, what can we learn from your experience? Yeah, well, I know for me, to be honest, as much as I have enjoyed virtual and a lot of people are sometimes skeptical about their efforts, especially when it comes to group. And I'm thankful that I've had the woman who called me, the young woman called me, be very honest about that to say, I've never done an online group. 
how does this work? How is that different? Not only like reassuring myself that this is going to work, that this can be as effective, but trying to assure the people, the group members, the same thing, like giving them in that first phone call, this is how I work to make sure this group is still effective, even online. These are some things that I try to work to eliminate from happening, whether there's issues with technology or what have you, just trying to reassure myself and my group members, online groups can be just as effective as in person, just as effective. Yeah, I think I well, I agree 100%. And I'm glad that you're doing that education and that work in advance. I think I'm just thinking about like, what that initial fear is that might be missing for people in terms of the depth of a group or the ability to connect or seeing everyone's face and then anxiety about who's going to talk over each other. It sounds like you really beautifully handle a lot of those things in the orientation piece. Yes, absolutely. Because everything you just said are concerns people do have about online groups. Those are all the things that people have concerns about. So I make sure I know how to address each one or even given the grace to, hey, technology may work out, mess up. But what can we do about that? How can we support you in that moment and things like that? Yeah. Yeah. It's the golden thread that you've woven through everything today so far, Jezreel, is your authenticity in the process and just showing up as you are and being honest about what's going to unfold and letting people feel empowered to be a part of that process if it's right for them. Thank you. Thank you. That that has been my goal. And like I said earlier, the biggest piece for me was having a space similar. And again, it wasn't necessarily a group therapy group, but it was a it was a professional setting. But to still have this space that I really have never had, even professionally, wanting to do that for the community, wanting to show up for the community as a therapist and private practice um, to be able to offer that has has been a great experience. Yeah, I love it. Are there any resources or tools that you use as a part of your group that are would be helpful for others to know about? Sure. Um, one of the things that I found, too, because even though I say the group discusses um, racial trauma and what that is, I found that not a lot of young women that come to the group really have an understanding of what that looks like. So having psychoeducation of not only what racial trauma is, but how does that show up in my day-to-day life? How does that impact how I form relationships or show up for myself in a work setting or at college? Having psychoeducation around what that is, what that looks like, the anxiety that brings and causes from that, that has been a good resource. Also, um, Therapy for Black Girls is a really good resource that I continually talk to my group members about whether it's checking out the website and everything they offer as a resource as well, the organization that has been one that they found to be really effective Therapyforblackgirls.com. Yes. We'll link it below your podcast. It's a great resource. Okay. Awesome. All right. So final question, if you could give a new therapist your top tips for starting a group like yours in their community, what would you say is important to know in getting started? that you don't have to know everything to get started. You don't have to have all your I's dotted or all your T's crossed to get started. Just do it. Of course, have the logistics, but the group process is such a process that works itself out. And the fear of holding you back may stop someone who could use this group from benefiting from it even sooner. So being okay to trust the process, being okay to work through the process. And and if you don't get it right the first time with group, you'll know for the second time, you'll know what you need the next time you have this group. So I would say my tip would be to do it scared, to go forward and (laughs) to go forward in that goal. 
Perfect. Love it. I don't even need to recap because you said it perfectly. <laughs> Where can people find you? We'll link to your Instagram if you'd like. Is there anywhere else that people can find you? Sure. You said that you will link the issue or you have linked it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I will okay. if you'd like. <laughs> yes, yeah, sure. So my Instagram is at therapy with Jazrael. My first name, J-A-Z-R-A-E-L. You can also find me on Psychology Today and Therapy for Black Girls directory. My personal website is still under construction right now, so I'm not going to give that out. But those directories I'm on, um, Therapy for Black Girls and Psychology Today, they can definitely find me on those two directories. So perfect example, Jezreel, of how you're doing it and iterating the process as you go, and you're successful in that. So keep going and doing what you're doing. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that, Katie. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you being here. Thank you. Hey, groupie. Thanks for listening. For more resources on how you can market, fill, and run your group in private practice, check me out at becomeagroupguru.com. 